Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Today, we finally brought in our special guest that we had promised for about a week or so. Um, we, we had some internet issues and we, we had some other issues and, and just uh, time constraints and everything. Uh, actually, speaking of time constraints, we actually don't have Crescent on the show today because of that. Um, but today I'm bringing in Peter Howard of uh, DLF Football and uh, a, a writer for DL, DLF Football, I should say. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of other things, uh, mostly Twitter, mostly uh, hat tipping. <laughs> mostly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you doing, Peter? Uh, I'm doing great, man. You can just say it. We're, I'm late mostly because I suck. I get it. Um, yeah, I couldn't figure out the app we wanted to use. And then I was off somewhere. Like, there's an on-running joke where I turn up two days after anyone says anything in our DMs or our Slack threads and then ask what's going on. So, yeah, it's normally my fault. I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> but happy to be here at the Monocle. Thanks for asking well, me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you for coming on. I mean, uh, it might sound like a shocker to you or something, but me and Peter are not best friends. So, you know, when he kind of like ghosted me for two days, I was like, holy crap, what's going on? Oh, but no. Apparently that's just what he does. So. <laughs> I'm just terrible. It's fine. <laughs> and yeah, man, I'm, I, I tend to, I'm one of those plate spinners, but I'm lazy. So I'll like get, about 10 plates spinning and then I'll walk away and come back and find seven of them broken. And that's basically what happens. Like I start talking <laughs> to you about coming on a podcast and I come back two days later, like, Oh yeah, what's going on with that? Um, no, <laughs> that's completely understandable. <laughs> Obviously you just recorded a podcast before this. Actually, I just recorded a podcast before this. So apparently we're both just really busy people. And, and you know, the fact <laughs> yeah. that we were able to make time, you know, actually it makes it pretty cool. Um, so I guess I should ask you, since it's kind of a crazy time and everything, like how's the quarantine life for you? Um, not much has changed for us. And I don't mean to demean, you know, everything that's going on. It's very serious. I'm mostly trying not to address it since I just talk about fantasy football. So what would I know? But um, <laughs> we're all introverts. Um, social distancing is basically the way we live anyway. Um, and in Kentucky, we're getting so far really lucky. We have a really good governor. Um, things being managed well. We we have increasing number of cases in our area, but it's you know nothing like New York or what's going on in Nashville. So we're incredibly lucky with where we are and how things are being managed. And and again, just living in the country, being a little more distant from people anyway. Not a lot has changed for us. We do have friends and family that um, are going through wild changes right now. So just counting our blessings that way. But yeah. Um, mostly not a lot's changed for us. We're homebodies anyway. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there, there's probably a lot of people worse off than us, and, and you know, we're not trying to make light of the situation and everything. Uh, you know, I, I actually, I, I do pressure washing for a living, so I'm still working. I'm, I'm still going out every right. day, and I, I, I get sunshine and fresh air and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm in Florida, and we haven't That's shut right. down yet, so, you know, it's... Uh, it not like trying to rub it in people's faces or anything, but at the right. same time, it's not like it's fun either because it was also 95 degrees yesterday. So, at the same time, like, um, I think that does them a service as well because you know, some people are getting hit really hard right now, and some of us aren't. And I don't want to, you know, pretend to be someone that's struggling with it. Like, there, like, um, Bobby Koch, if you follow him on Twitter, he lives in New York, so he's been living in like a much more real, vivid experience with this than I have. I don't want to be 
to pretend <laughs> that I'm in the same situation <laughs> as Bobby, you know? So like just trying to keep it real. That's basically what we do. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, maybe if they, if they don't have any other news, then they can hear that some people are actually doing okay. And you know, like the world yeah. isn't going to end tomorrow and that kind of thing. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> all right so you know obviously you know you're a writer for dlf you're you're i mean honestly not to not to like discount dlf or anything like that but I, <laughs> but i know you more from podcasting uh podcasts that i've heard you on and then you know just mainly your twitter um uh, you know the hat tip has become just such an icon at this point and you know, somehow just, that took off yeah <laughs> it just seemed um, like the most appropriate gif like seven times in a row and then i became the hat tip guy so but how did you get started with dlf oh long winding story at uh, dlf i'm incredibly grateful to him the reason that you may hear me on podcasts and a lot of other places because dlf incredibly grateful and kind to me they they let us kind of just do what we want as long as you know we're around to help and we are not idiots and we try and help them out a little bit so um i got started with dlf basically because i I don't know. How did, how did it get towards DLS? Someone recommended them. Like I had written a few articles. I was trying to put out a lot of the research I was doing just to have a community, talk to people about it because it's really fun, right? That's what we do. It's a hobby. And, and so I wrote to a few places and DLF was one of the ones recommended to me. And I said, Hey, I'm starting to produce content. This is what I do. Would you like to read an article? Here's a past article. And they said, yeah, sure. We're interested. And the way DLF does it, they, they like to, they like to help us out. Like if we're interested in producing content, they've got a large message board and a large forum um, of people that play Dynasty and um, subscribe to DLF. So they're like, join our forum, start answering questions, start talking to the community, and we'll see how it goes. And fortunately, I was just lucky enough to, um, I guess, be interesting enough, or at least I, I don't think like I'm better than anyone else, but I do think I'm boring and have less of a life than enough people that I'm able to do a little <laughs> bit of the work. Like if you want some data, I'll spend the hours it takes to grind it out and then you just get it. And I, apparently people are, people are into that and that's what I do. And I try and write it up as best I can. My caveat is always, you might interpret this better than me. Like I'm not saying I'm not a statistician. I'm not a genius numbers guy, but I am willing to do all this really laborsome, boring work and then show you what it says. And then you can interpret it how you want. I'll tell you what I think of it, but like, here's the data and have fun. Let me know what you think. <laughs> that's basically what I try and do. And that's how I got started with DLF just because it's an incredibly good community and they were gracious enough. Like anyone that joins on, if you want to start answering questions and talking and have something to add, then they'll listen to you. Um, like the whole fantasy vocal community, to be fair, I think we're really lucky um, to have such a place. Like, yeah, you get occasional not-so-nice people, but the large majority is <laughs> people who enjoy the sport. They like talking about it, and they like arguing about it. And as long as you're okay with all of those things, you're going to find a community that's really welcoming and helpful. And that's so far what I've found. Yeah, definitely. I mean, honestly, I guess maybe, like, maybe I'm wrong, but for for me, DLF was, is uh, is well known for like their ADP services and that kind of thing. Um, Ryan so McDowell. that's kind of yeah. yeah, of course, you know Ryan McDowell and everything. So I mean, that's kind of always been my thing with DLF was just like ADPs. And like I said, I'm I'm sure 
diving into their whole thing, which I haven't really done that. It's, it's way more than that, but, you know, but obviously just even the ADP services uh, alone or the rankings alone is, is, is plenty. Yeah. The ADP has always been useful. They've got some really, they've got great articles. They've got a lot of guys on there who are just really good and they write from a dynasty perspective. So it's not just redraft, which it used to be mostly redraft. It was hard to find dynasty content and they hook people up with leagues. Like, I don't know what it was like for you getting started in dynasty, but it was really hard to find dynasty leagues. No, I'm actually in one of the DLF leagues. Um, now, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, it was a, a Scott fish league and it was like a DLF uh, kind of like crossover kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. And one of those things, like if you want to have fun with Dynasty, you need decent owners. You need players that aren't going to like completely sell out for one year and then disappear or, yep. you know, not know what they're doing and tank a team. And then you've got one team heavily unbalanced because they took advantage of them. You need good owners. And so you have to find a good Dynasty League. And DLF helps out with that, too. They've recently um, combined with FS Statistics, which is a place I used to put up articles as well. Addison Hayes at Amaze yep. Hayes on Twitter. Like, those are serious, like, statistician coding nerds, <laughs> you know, not, not the pretend nerd like me. And so they're really starting to get um, a lot of data content out as well, like Addison's building apps for them. And so there's going to be a lot more on there as well. They've got a lot of neat new tools. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I remember the first podcast uh, Addison was ever on talking about his his website. And, you know, and he was like a kid out of college, if I remember correctly. And yeah, and, and you know, just like it, he he was talking about how he built this website, I, I believe, for uh, like a college something project. to do with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For a college project. And then, you know, now he's now he's a part of dlf like that's a pretty big deal that's pretty cool and yeah, obviously cool. you're, you're you're there too and and you know no, so you got some big names <laughs> no i was already like one of his first live streams because he's a guy who built a website but the data was downloadable and so many people make the data hard to access like you can't copy and paste it you can't download it and he had his whole database there to download and i was like all right i'll listen to your live stream and he was talking about how you can go here you can download his entire history and I was like, I'm stealing your data right now. And he's like, good, I want you to steal my data. And I was trying to troll him, but he was honestly just giving it out. Like, it was, yeah, it was like impossible. you can't troll me. <laughs> it was impossible to make him mad over it. But I really appreciated it. I built a lot of stuff from that, that first database I stole from Addison. Because that's the thing, you know, we should be really grateful to Sports Football Reference and Pro Football Reference that put on all this free data. But if you want to, like, put it in a spreadsheet or a, if you're a coder into R and search it and look for patterns and trends, it's harder to do that. Copying and pasting has a lot of problems. <laughs> and oh, and so for Addison to do that, it's one of my first, in and airyards.com as well, they let you just, Josh just lets you download his data. And if you're just a guy playing fantasy football, trying to have fun like me, then it's an incredible benefit to be able to get those stats. Cause you know, all these guys paywall, they have access to all this data and, we can only see it on a website. So if you want to search it or make your own model or do your own calculation, it's really difficult. So guys like Addison and Josh are just helping us all out, I think. Absolutely. And speaking of helping us out, I know you didn't really want to mention it, but you know, your Patreon is, is essentially <laughs> free. So I, mean, I know you have yeah, some guys really that you tried to help out and everything <laughs> or tried to help you out, but it's like, uh, here's a website where you can get money for what you do. And I'm like, cool, I'll do it for free. Now I, I don't <laughs> like, I honestly enjoy the community, guys. Like, I like talking about football, 
um, or anything, really. I, I came over from England. I didn't know anyone. And I was just looking to reach out. And one of the prisons, things I enjoyed has always been sport. And so I was looking to get into football and American sports so I could find people that also had similar interests. And fantasy football is just one that accepted me, I guess. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so Patreon is just another way for me to do that. Like, because on Patreon, I can write like a mini article, just like a paragraph or two of words of things that I've found, or I can do a live stream, or I can post a link to a Google sheet with all this data in it. Like I don't, I'm not, I don't have my own website. <laughs> I don't have anywhere to host right. this stuff. And just posting constant Google Sheets can be hard to keep up with. Um, and so instead, what I thought was Patreon, right? And then you know, this community is so great. Some people want to support the support me for it. So like, I'm like, okay, like I'll take the money and you like. Last year, I used it on a Rotoviz sub, and so I had access to all this other data. So I'm like, okay, I can filter that right back to the people on Patreon. And so some stuff has become Patreon only just because they're paying for it. So sure. like, I've got an expected points database and stuff I've done with that. Um, and I'm trying to do like a Patreon only show. But the thing is, like, I'm really into the community. So if any of my patrons want to share that stuff with other people, the links are free. But to get the link, you have to be subscribed to my patreon for Makes like sense. a dollar a month and like i don't i don't want to set myself up as someone who thinks he's an expert or thinks what he says is so valuable that it's worth money but like i'm really working hard to provide value to say thank you to the community and if people want to help out with that like yeah you can donate for patreon but i also try and keep as much of it free as possible and part of the reason is like josh and addison like they're they're some of the people that have given me data. How can I charge him from charge money for something right. other people have like helped me out by giving me? So like my market share database is a big thing, or I think it is. And um, since we're hopefully going to talk about prospects instead of me at some point, um, <laughs> and I've got that pinned to my Twitter timeline, but I also uh, I maintain the link and I host it on Patreon. So anyone can see that. that. And that's the free part. You can go, you can download it anytime. I try to update new stats. People on Patreon say, hey, puts points per game in there. So I'll do that. And then you can just keep re-downloading it and I'll maintain it and I'll research it. And that's what I'm trying that's how I'm trying to help out. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we're trying to introduce you to anyone that hasn't met you or listened to you before but you know i'm guessing yeah, most fine. people have at this point um <laughs> I, I guess the the biggest thing for me obviously is kind of that you I'm, or at least for me it's those two things it's the market share data like you were saying and then one of the biggest things that i kind of like clung to was the the fallacy of vacated targets okay. and <laughs> so that no, was one thing that i really wanted to talk about today it, it was uh I hear, you know, every week I hear somebody saying Jason Witten left. So now Blake Jarwin's going to get, uh, you know, right, 88 right. plus 42 equals this. And it's just like, no, that's not, that's not necessarily how it is. You know, uh, OBJ came over here. And, and so now that leaves, you know, uh, Golden Tate with uh, 262 targets in, in, in New York. And it's just, you know, obviously there's a million other examples of it and you know you're probably much better explaining it so so why don't you you know go ahead and, and dive in for us i i don't think i am one of the reasons i like twitter is that we get to argue in a fun friendly way like we can get nasty but it's twitter like hopefully you're not taking it seriously and if you are let me know and i'll stop but <laughs> um <laughs> it helps me 
get to a place where I can explain my thinking clearly because someone disagrees and I'm like, but what about this? And they and people on Twitter help me better articulate a message so I can write it in an article. That's honestly one of the reasons I use it and use it the way I do. I want to argue with you so I can get better at explaining what I'm trying to say. Um, and I'm in the middle of the vacated targets thing right now. So I might not be explaining it perfectly, but here's what I can tell you. Um, I did a podcast on it about a year ago. I've recently re-released that to show you where my initial thoughts came from. And it's simply that when you look at the past examples of when large amounts of targets were missing, they don't turn up in a, on a, any particular player who's left on the depth chart. I'm, I'm now creating a data set so we can actually see this physically. Um, it's a very pedantic point. And that's most of my points. And because <laughs> I'm not an expert. I, and I didn't start out thinking I could be an expert. I just wanted to be able to see and track this stuff myself so someone didn't else didn't have to tell me. And to get to a place, to get to that place, you have I wanted to understand the basics of where things were coming from so I know what stats are useful for what. And targets are not useful for, for projecting volume on a team the following year in that way. It's a very pedantic point, but I think it's really essential when we come down to, like you were talking about, specific player examples. If you want to like Blake Jarwin, for example, your random example, that's fine. Like, I can find good things to like about Blake Jarwin. Don't get me wrong. Tight end's a little difficult, but whatever. Um, but it shouldn't be because player X has left. It should be something about Blake Jarwin. For me, from what I've found, um, that's what we should be looking for. What about Blake Jarwin says he might do better next year? Now, if you want to layer missing volume on top of that, that's fine. But it should really start with something about the player, something they've done, something and a tight end could be just that he's physically incredibly impressive as an athlete. And that works at tight end, so that's fine. But good players tend to earn or create volume. They push other players out the way. They, they increase the target share of the overall team because they're creating more first downs or more touchdowns or more yards. And therefore there's a space for them on the depth chart to be fantasy relevant. Now that doesn't mean, and the example I'm arguing with on Twitter right now um, is when <laughs> Odell Beckham left the target share and the targets per game of Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram and Golden Tate did increase but I think if you're thinking about that as those are Odell Beckham's targets, then you're starting out with a fallacy or a misunderstanding of where targets come from. I don't think those targets are leftover Odell targets. I think that's because Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, and Golden Tate are all really good players. Sure. The difference is they are not Odell Beckham. None of them ballooned up to a 29% market share. None of them ballooned up to 10.3 targets per game, which is what Odell Beckham was doing the year before he left. But without an Odell Beckham, obviously the team passed for a similar volume. It was like 24 more passes the next year. So obviously there's still the volume's still there, but it diffuses over the offense because no player on that depth chart is capable of doing what Odell Beckham is doing. So if you're thinking about targets being left on the ground for, for other players to pick up, just logically, you can make the assumption that Golden Tate's going to be amazing the next year. I, and I think that can lead to a very logical misunderstanding of what we should expect. We should expect Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, and Evan Ingram to be very good because they're good players, but they won't balloon up to Odo Beckham numbers. They will, they will increase within their range of outcomes. And in fact, I think 
Shepard and Tate and Ingram, they like I know specifically off the top of my head, Sterling Shepard went to 23 percentage of targets without Odo Beckham. And before that, the year before that, he was at like 19%. But he was also at 21% the year before that. So it was within <laughs> his range of what he's capable of creating and earning for himself. And once you understand, once you start thinking, rather, that targets are things players create or um, earn, then that makes sense to you. But if we're thinking targets are things laying on the ground, the team's got 604 pass attempts to give out, oh my God, like you were saying, Sterling Shepard's going to be amazing. No, because Sterling Shepard's range of outcomes is lower than Odo Beckham's. He's going to be good because he's a good player. Now, it's very pedantic, but that's because when you're trying to apply it to a situation I'm not talking through, or we're not talking through because we've already seen it happen, right? So the Green Bay wide receiver two position, Jordy and Cobb aren't there. Oh my God, wide Green Bay wide receiver two is going to be amazing next year. So everyone spends these late round flyers on Jamal Moore and Geronimo Allison, and it doesn't work out. And it doesn't work out because nothing about those players the year before really indicated they could earn that level of volume. Now, it's fine to take flyers on them, but anyone who's reached slightly may be feeling very disappointed that they did that. Now, that's a low-cost, high-reward upside. So it's we're still okay to do it. But for someone who's just trying to predict for himself what's going to happen next year, and I do projections for player profiler as well, so I've gotten... I've tried to get more and more professional about projections as well to do that. Sure. Like all I'm saying to help someone out who's trying to do this and just trying to do the best job they can for their own fantasy team is if you understand that targets are more earned and created than laying on the ground, that helps you understand a situation, right? So when we look at projecting in the future, something that you may not be able to break down as well, because it hasn't already happened. And so it all makes sense now, right? But when we're thinking about the future, I mean, what happens when DeAndre Hopkins leaves? Well, I, I can tell you some things that we should expect. Will Fuller is a really good player. Like, he hasn't broken out. I know he's been injured a lot. Let's just he's ignore broken. He just Fuller. hasn't broken out. Let, let's just ignore the Will Fuller problems for now. He's done enough that even I can admit Will Fuller has proven himself to be good. So if he's going to sure. be healthy, he's going to do more than he has done without DeAndre Hopkins there. But he's not going to be DeAndre Hopkins. Kiki Kute, I think, has been significantly below average and hype. I don't yeah. think he's that good. But without DeAndre Hopkins there, there is more room for him to earn a larger role. But that, when you start talking about vacated targets, it's easy to make the the logical but incorrect conclusion that there are 200 targets for him to take. No, it's about what he can create. And if we think about it from that prism, will he do better next year without Hopkins on the depth chart? Yes. But I don't think, I think that puts it in a more reasonable range of expectations. Kiki Kute could become a top 36 wide receiver next year. Great. If you like Kiki, I don't. But if you did, that's great, man. <laughs> But if you're thinking about DeAndre Hopkins' target share, that might make you think that his range of outcomes is a top 12 wide receiver. And that's far outside the likely outcome for Kiki Kuti, you know, or Will Fuller for that matter. Now, I think Will Fuller's been good enough. We could maybe outside expectation hope for a top 12, but I think that's really reaching. I do think sure. if he's healthy, top 24 is significantly medium range of outcomes without Hopkins. But there we're talking, because Will Fuller's good, 
and there's and now there's a lack of DeAndre Hopkins. And so it seems pedantic, but when you're trying to predict situations where things are less proven, like Will Fuller, like Kiki Kuti, I think it helps to start out with understanding that targets are created and earned. They're not things laying on the ground to be picked up. Those targets, if they're anywhere, are now in Arizona. DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> will create and earn his own targets. And the same thing happened with Odell, by the way. Like Odell had 124 targets the year he left um New York Giants guess how many he had in in and in a year that everyone thought he was terrible by the way he had 133 remarkably yeah. similar for some strange reason but it's not some strange reason it's because Odell creates that level of volume for himself now his target share dropped because Jarvis Landry is also one of those players, right? Um, <laughs> right? And also efficiency for a player trait moving teams tends to drop anyway. So we should can expect lower efficiency from Drondre Hopkins, who already struggles with efficiency. Um, and I can see now I'm in the middle of a monologue. Sorry. No, you're <laughs> but, good. Um, it, 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 it's not a disagreement that there isn't volume there. There is volume there. But if you think about it from, if you put a number on the amount of targets missing, then I think it can lead to some some people just playing fantasy for themselves to misunderstand likely expectations. And I'm really against that. Like, I'm not playing in $500 leagues. Like, I'm just trying to help out Joe Schmo, like me, playing within his friend's league, trying to guess where he should draft Will Fuller, right? That's all I'm trying to help out <laughs> with. And... Um, and the thing he should know is that targets are, or her, she should know, uh, targets are created and earned. So it's about what Will Fuller can do with that loss of DeAndre Hopkins. He can do a lot. I don't think he can do what DeAndre Hopkins does. And so the target volume won't increase up there. But yeah, one or two targets more a game, I can expect that from someone as good as Will Fuller if he stays healthy. <laughs> um, and so it's just... It's fundamental to what targets are, and so it's really important when you're talking about projections. It's overly pedantic, I admit, when talking about <laughs> expectations for players, but it does help out. I, I hope it helps out because it's more—it's a more accurate description of what targets are. Is that Do you have any kind of research or, or anything that you've looked into where it says, uh, you know, where where it would help us with like the Atlanta situation where you're losing Austin Hooper and 100 targets and, uh, you know, Muhammad Sanu. And I, I think he was closer to like 50 targets, but he also kind of left midseason. So maybe like 100 targets from him, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm start like I said, I'm starting to create that data set so I can put it out and everyone can look through and see if there's a conclusion I've missed. Um, but yeah, this is this is another good example, like the Arizona situation, where it's useful and slightly pedantic. Calvin Ridley is already <laughs> a top 24 player. He's been there, so we should value him more than most people seem to right now. I think his stock's really down further than where it is. So if you've got a good player in a situation where there, there is less competition for targets, we should expect Calvin Ridley to do better we won't see him balloon up to uh, Julio Jones because that's a different level of expectation. Julio sure. Jones is someone that dominates to 27, 28, 29% of targets. Calvin Ridley is more in the, in the, um, you know, uh, the Sterling Shepard, the Tyler Boyd mold. He can get 23, 24, 25, which is really valuable for fantasy, but we shouldn't expect him to balloon up to Chris Godwin numbers. Um, 
for a start, having two players on a team do that happens every year, but doesn't happen very often. But because we know Calvin Ridley is good, we should maybe bump up his value. He's going to get one or two more targets on average. That's the average, by the way, like um, one or two more targets for wide receivers left on the depth chart who are good um, increase between one and two targets per game. That would be really good for Calvin Ridley. But you don't need to know the number. If anything, all I would do is ignore the number of targets missing because putting a number on it, I think our natural inclination is to try to start dividing that up. Instead, think of market share and team passing attempts. The team passing attempts is likely to remain relatively stable unless the team suddenly becomes less efficient. Maybe maybe Matt Ryan gets injured or Julio Jones goes down. Those things would hurt the team volume. But outside of that, Calvin Ridley is very likely to earn a slightly larger role, not a Julio Jones level, but a slightly larger percentage of targets. And targets are more likely to move towards the wide receiver position than the tight end position because there's no good tight end anymore. Now, it, again, I admit it sounds overly pedantic, but here's what we're avoiding by thinking about targets as earned and created. I didn't have to mention who the tight end in Atlanta is. I'm not going to worry where all those tight end targets are going to go or there's 100 targets left on the table. Who's going to get? Because it's about who's good on that team. Whoever's good on that team will earn slightly more than we've seen them do before. But we shouldn't expect someone behind the player who's left to suddenly balloon up. Now, part of the way you can see this is when you look at wide receiver two who's on the depth chart the year they left, one of the things you notice is like, well, these are entirely different players. Obviously, Sterling Shepard isn't going to do the same role as uh, Odo Beckham, and Willie Sneed isn't going to take over John Brown targets. But yeah, that's the point. We're putting common sense back into what something that seems like it's common sense. Vacated targets seems like it's common sense, but there's actually a lot of missteps you can make with it. So instead, just think about the role they play and what they can do with it, and you actually get most of the value. You don't have to worry about the number of targets that have left. What can this player do on the team? Willie Sneed's pretty good. He's sucked up volume before. He's not going to become a top 12 wide receiver just because John <laughs> Brown's left. He's not going to earn 50 extra targets, but we should expect him to do slightly better. In fact, when Willie Sneed, when John Brown left Baltimore in, uh, sorry, that's 2008. So, um, so uh, John Brown um, left Baltimore in 2008 and went over to Buffalo, right? Willie Sneed was still on the team. Um, in 2019, he earned, uh, oh, he was injured. Yeah, that sucks. But he earned 11% <laughs> targets per game as opposed to 18% targets per game the next year. So John Brown being gone, actually, if they were connected, hurt what Willie Sneed did in Baltimore. Now, actually, what happens if you, and again, looking through this data set, you can actually go see who the wide receiver one and two was that year. I'm trying to make this, like you said about my spreadsheet, sometimes it, it's hard to understand what's going on. That's why I haven't put it out yet. Well, one of the big ones that stood out to me was, uh, and obviously there's a, there's a lot of like question marks and everything involved in the season, but one of the big ones that stood out to me and like the most recent ones was uh, Antonio Brown and Juju. And, you know, obviously, you know, people are just going to say, oh, they didn't have a quarterback. But, I mean, we can look at plenty of seasons where like DeAndre Hopkins – uh, um, you could probably even mention, you know, quite a few more where, you know, even though they didn't have the quarterback play, you know, DJ Moore last year, uh, that kind of thing, they didn't have the quarterback play necessarily, but they, they still were able to, you know, 
succeed and and produce. And uh, <laughs> Juju did not do that. So, I mean, obviously there was some injury involved with him. There was some injury involved with Ben. Uh, but, you know, is there anything to that or do you think it's just kind of a lost season as far as statistics go? Because like there were so many like st- uh, variables in- involved. Yeah, I missed on Juju <laughs> talking about vacated targets. <laughs> I like Juju because he had shown his ability to earn significant target share, not because Antonio Brown had left. In a vacuum, I thought Juju had shown himself to be a player who could earn um, a significant percentage of the targets and therefore be valuable. Again, it's just that I prefer to say it that way so I skip over the you know, number of targets lost. Um, <laughs> I think it's the last season. Look, uh, I know a lot of people are down on Juju right now, but the play, I mean, what don't you like? He had one bad year, and that goes all the way back to the start of his career playing football. Like, there was no year he's been bad except for last year, and the team was a mess. Um, now, I, I think you should bounce back in 2019, so maybe that's not the best example for me when talking about <laughs> vacated targets. But um, again, but it kind of is, because I like what, uh, I'm trying to pull up something about Juju now. No, I was just trying to point out, you know, not not. I wasn't trying to like body you or anything like that. I was just trying to show that, you know, oh, no, Antonio Brown leaving with his like, 160 targets doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden Juju is going to be, you know, like, uh, you know, gain those 160 targets. That was really my main point more than anything else. No, you didn't body me. It's good these times it doesn't work out, and I'm not um, suggesting it always does. But the best I can do is point out what has happened before, what has happened on average, and therefore what we can likely expect in the future. You should layer on your understanding of the player, what you think of that player, what you think of that team's situation, on top of all of that. And because an individual situation is always going to look different than the average, right? So... I'm trying to pull up Juju's stats, but like I'm in the wrong spreadsheet, man, for that. Uh, I was trying to remember, <laughs> like, Deontay Johnson had significant percentage of targets. Um, and that's a player we, did. we may want to talk about as well. So Deontay had 18.9% uh, target share in 2019. Yeah, but you're going to be talking about regular target share. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> See, that's where that's where we differ. <laughs> no, one thing I've been doing lately, because um, it's a lot of people use it in projections, and I think it's really, it's really interesting to know that um, that's not the way a lot of people are viewing target share when you're talking about an Evan Silver or you're talking about um, Rotoviz or people that are doing the projections that we're all following and looking at the ranks, they look at it on a target share per game basis because that's easier mm-hmm. to use in projections because players miss time. But that's so it's a little unfair to say like Deontay had 18% target share, right? Like you said, but if you do it on a per game basis, it actually jumps up to 20 and that's actually equal to what Juju Smith was doing. And that fits better to our understanding of what happened, what was happening in that offense, right? And sure. Juju missed time, but both of them kind of filled the role when they were on the team. And, and yeah, that's a target share per game. And they were both at 20. Um, 20, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you can see at the, you know, towards the end of the season, you know, starting week 12, he, he got six, six targets, five, eight, seven, nine, seven. You know, and that's a, 
that's a that's a pretty big deal. His, his snap share went up quite a bit too. So you know, I don't know exactly what his target share was in those. I don't have that data, but you know, you can just see that you know he he definitely he definitely started gaining a, a little respect from some people. Like yeah, um, I was gonna draw a line here for you. Like I do like to create these average lines so you know what looks good, what looks bad. But like we were just talking about with Juju, it doesn't work always. Like um, in sure. 2018, before the year the last year Antonio Brown played, right? Um, he Juju earned 26% of the targets as a second-year player with an incredible college profile. That's why I bet on him going into 2019 because he looked like a player. Even with Antonio Brown on the team, he was earning like more a larger percentage of the targets Sterling Shepard or Tyler Boyd ever have. So he looked like a wide receiver one poised to come into this slightly slight bump from Antonio Brown being gone. And we could expect wide receiver one numbers from him. What actually happened last year was, yeah, he missed about four games. Um, and also he only earned 20% of the targets and Deontay came on really strong. So that's proof that this isn't foolproof. Um, but what I would say about Deontay is that that 18% target share um, oh, that 20% where he was at per game last year is a really significant number. When you look at wide receivers who have left, the ones that rise up to be the wide receiver ones for that team the year before, they average about 18 to 19% target share per game on that team the year before that wide receiver leaves. So Deontay Johnson actually being 18%, really significant, 18% to 20% is a really significant number. Like um, Juju must, might, might have just found himself another committee. and so i kind of like both players and now the other dirty secret is as much as i like to say quarterback doesn't matter you at least need average qb play okay that's 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 in a vacuum if you have you know i don't know austin davis throwing you the ball it's not the same as andy dalton we need at least andy dalton level (laughs) and and so does big bang come back is a question right but it's not because you need someone as good as Big Ben was, at least. But you need at least competence, and if so, both of those players do, should do really well. No, I, I definitely agree. Um, I guess my question to you, and you probably maybe you don't have an answer to it, but if, if, <laughs> if Juju goes out and has a great season, then we just kind of chalk it up as uh, you know as last 2019 was a crappy season you know there was just too many variables and that kind of thing and like the models good and everything's great but if, but if 2000 you know 2020 ends up with you know 100 targets for juju and you know it, nothing nothing amazing he ends up as wide receiver 23 uh and deontay johnson's wide receiver 28 or then you know what are we thinking then at that point uh yeah, then his top 12 season drops off. Um, I think, and this is an important point, I think about Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't think he's Julio. I don't think he's... Um, I, I think he's Juju Smith-Schuster. All these guys are remarkably different. But I try and distinguish between volume and efficiency players. And the weird thing about like an AJ Green or a Julio Jones is they're volume and efficiency players. They're the rare birds of rare birds, right? It's Calvin Johnson. Like, they don't really exist there are so few of them it's hard to believe they exist and what i liked about juju is one he's obviously incredibly talented he was incredibly talented to college he's already done things in the nfl that no one's done at that age and um, but he plays 
in terms of his statistical profile, more like a Jarvis Landry. He plays like a guy who needs the volume um, to be that wide receiver, top 12 wide receiver. And if Deontay's pushing him, it's really hard to get there. Um, so top 24 is starting to look like Juju's more likely range of outcomes in top 12. I did like, because that 26%, that second year, man, that really gave me hope that with Antonio Brown on the team, that he's just sure. able to create so much space around him. He's really talented, and he's still learning, and he is really young. Um, but like you said, 2020 is going to be a test of where we can put his likely range of outcomes. I really hope he's got that top 12, even top 5 potential. But it's very clear he's not, uh, even physically, he's not a Julio Jones. He's not a Calvin Johnson. He's not. Um, he, he's really good size. He's really good athlete. But as I remember, he doesn't profile as that um, that level of player. Am I wrong there? I don't pay a lot of attention to combine stats. I'm kind of winging that. Yeah, Juju doesn't have like the workout metrics like you're talking about necessarily, um, if that's what you're asking. Right, and that's not the best way to profile a player. It's just kind of a quick reach for the time. Normally, I'd use A dot or efficiency by A dot. Um, now, ex an exception to that rule is. Uh, Hopkins. It's not just Jarvis Landry. You could also do it like Hopkins, a similar type of volume top 12 wide receiver. Um, it's it's almost rarer than the Julio Joneses and the Calvin Johnsons of the world, but there is this type of top 12 wide receiver that does it majoritively through volume rather than efficiency. I think that's within Juju's range of outcomes. I don't think it's within Deontay Johnson's range of outcomes based on what they've already done in the NFL. Is that making sense to you? Yeah, no, definitely. I okay. You know, like I said, Sometimes I, I'm not sure. I, I, I walk and people blank <laughs> me, and I'm like, am I am I making it sound too complicated? Because it's really not. It's just 26. percent It's a really significant number to hit. Like uh, th that's it. Like most of them hit 23, 24 in the top 24 uh, of PPR wide receivers to get to 26 percent that second year. That just gives me hope that he could be a little bit more than that. Sure. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I don't think, I don't know that anyone actually has the answer on Juju just yet, just because like you said, I mean, there were so many variables and there was so many question marks and everything. Um, I know, you know, he was basically going as like dynasty receiver number one last year. And I, I thought that was a little crazy, but you know, uh, at the same time, you know, with his age and, and, you know, the, uh, like you said, that 26% target share and everything, it, it wasn't insane, but it just, it might've been a, a, a quite a big jump for him. <laughs> and so maybe it was a little too uh, like premature. Kind Sometimes of deal. we get a little too upside happy. I'll admit to doing that with Judo. Cause if he had gone to back to 26% last year at his age, I really think he would have been a contender for that wide receiver one spot. So I didn't have him there last year. Um, but I, I think I ranked him there with the note. He's not the wide receiver one, but if we trade for him like he could be, that could be a really big dynasty value jump. Because the difference between like wide receiver eight and wide receiver one is really big in dynasty in terms of value. It didn't work out, so it looks stupid now. But <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah, I got you. That's all for today. I hope you enjoyed part one. Part two will be out on Monday. See you then.